Chris, how are you feeling today? Are you rested? Um, rest. What is sleep? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. No, I'm feeling okay. great. Well, well, good. Chris, you sound very bubbly, so that, that pleases me. It's amazing what coffee can do for you. Yeah. Um, welcome back, uh, listeners, to uh, another episode of uh, Z DevOps Talks with uh, Chris and Chris. We're we're uh, we've got uh, myself, Chris Sales, and Roland's on the line with us here. Um, and um, Roland, so from what I can from what I could tell, the like your official title, your program director of offering management and strategy enterprise products and compilers on Z systems. Is that right? Is that, is yes, that it is. Okay. Yeah, yes, it is. And uh, what it means is really I lead the uh, offering management uh, team for enterprise products and compilers. And then, I mean, I mean, we know compilers, that's that's automatic uh, binary optimizer. The ABO is another product as well. Are there any other products that would fall kind of under your, I guess, purview? Uh, yes. Yeah. So on the compiler side, um, I do have uh, all the, the Z compilers like C and C++, uh, PL1, COBOL, and the product that you mentioned, Automatic Binary Optimizer. Um, now we picked up Java as well, and uh, we have new languages, really exciting uh, area that you know, that we're working on. Our new languages like uh, Node.js and Python, and there's some more to come. So look, back up. I'm actually Roland. I um, you're located in. I'm. I'm. I love um, talking about people like where they're where they where they come from. You know, because especially with IBM, because we have like, you know, we have like the world's population. You know, in of of all the of the people that work here, um, especially in Z. Like, for instance, I was just assigned to a couple new products this week, and. Uh, a third of the team, uh, well, we're spread out everywhere, but if you were to just put it in buckets, like a third of the team is in, is in RTP, a, a third of the team is in India. And then the other, another third of the team is in Australia. So like, we're all over the place. It's wild, you know? And I just love hearing people talk and, you know, like their accents and, you know, it's just, it's, it's just really cool. You know, I feel it almost like an explorer, you know? Um, but you, so you're, you're currently located in Ontario, right? Which is, I believe in, in yes. Canada, right? In Canada, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a joke. I know that is. Um, but I was looking. It, it says that you wanted the language. One of the languages you speak is is Hong Kong Chinese, right? So, are you from Hong Kong? Cantonese. Basically. Okay. Yeah, I'm from Hong okay, Kong. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So that's the so Cantonese. So if I if I grew up in Hong Kong, I would speak probably English, the Queen's the Queen's the Queen's tongue, and then Cantonese, right? And then Cantonese. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so. Um, when did you, when did you, did you start working at IBM? I mean, when did you start working at IBM? How long have you been with, with IBM? Ah, uh, 30, 31, 32 years. Yeah. And I'm actually, I actually joined in 89. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's when Chris was born. No, <laughs> not even true. No. 83, bud. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's what I'm, about 93 or something. Yeah. That's the, no, someone no, in no, your no, team. i I think someone in your team uh, told me that they're born in 1995. Uh, maybe Claire. Claire. Claire is Claire is one of our new newer hires, and I think. Um, well, I don't know. I don't even know what what age would you be if you were born in 95. I don't know. What, what year are we in? Jeez, I feel like we're in a time warp. 20, yeah. 26 or yeah, really young. Yeah. Uh, Hong Kong would be a place that I would really like to go to. I think that it would be really cool. And I'm not sure if you knew this or not, uh, 
rolling. And I thought this was this was pretty cool. This is like a pretty cool connection. So I've I've I learned that Hong Kong is famous for its architecture. It's got the world's largest number of skyscrapers. Did you know that? Yeah. I, I didn't know that. I, there's a lot of things I don't know, but that in particular at that time period, I didn't know that. And I just thought it was interesting because the, the work that you're doing now is so heavily involved with or Z hard Z hardware, the, the Z architecture. So I don't know. I thought that was kind of that was kind of cool. So it almost seems like you were you were fated to work um, on these compilers. Well, I work in compilers all you know uh, all my career, and yeah. the interesting thing is that. Uh... I started on power and, you know, and I didn't really know what Z was until I got, you know, asked to work on Z. And then after you actually touch the Z platform, you find it, you find it totally, you know, it totally different, but it's so, uh, so cool because yeah. it has so much history to it. It's a different portal to the whole mm -hmm. thing. Right. So mm -hmm. it was really, really cool. So I'm glad that I have an opportunity to actually work on it. I'm curious to, uh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the customers that are, that are on the line, they, they are probably familiar with the compiler and how it works, but for, uh, you know, for the purposes of people who may be listening and maybe you're not exactly familiar with it, a, a couple questions. So one, do you have like a, do you have like the, you know, the, the two, two, three sentence or elevator pitch, so to speak of, you know, what a what our compilers are, what they do. And I mean, another question is, are they, are they different than what you might encounter off of the mainframe? Uh, yes. So the compiler is actually a way for customers to express their uh, business logic, right? So they wanted to write programs, they got to pick a language, and the compiler actually um, translates that language to machine code so that it can actually be executed efficiently on the platform. So on a Z platform, um, you know, we we have a lot of uh, languages that is available. Um, and uh, the it, it is... the, the the important thing about the compiler is like now it, it's becoming a, you know, becoming part of the roadmap for the Z hardware as well. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, if you look at one of the major um, functions of the compiler is to be able to uh, generate efficient code that runs on the platform. So optimization is very important, you know, uh, to create code efficiency um, so that your code can be uh, running on the platform and that can use all the hardware features that's available there. Um, so in the past, um, all the performance is all you know all given is all uh, produced by the hardware. The reason why I'm saying this is because we have a lot of room to shrink the you know size of the processor, increase the clock speed, right? So every time that you 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 have those uh, generation of uh, processors, all you need to do is to put the um, is to install your software onto the new platform, it automatically runs faster, right? Because it's okay. given by the hardware. Okay. But unfortunately that roadmap is coming to an end, right? So we cannot increase the clock speed forever. So what we're doing, right, the you know, since uh, the uh, Z10 timeframe yeah. is that we actually are co-designing um, hardware features that would improve the performance of certain workloads, right? So we do, you know, the COBOL compiler uh, designers will be working very closely. Uh, with the hardware designers to come up with new features to improve the performance of COBOL workload. So we have done a lot of generations for that. Um, so that's why I'm saying that it is, uh, you know, it's not just the, you know, it's also not just to, for you to write your application, modernize your application, but it's very, it's also a essential part of the hardware roadmap. It's funny that we're, 
maybe not funny, but it's uh, a bit synchronistic that we're having this discussion because um, one of our one of our uh, the other podcasts that IBM has is uh, Terminal Talks. They just interviewed or they just had Tom Ross on their um, on their yeah. podcast. He's he's also known as the oh, it's Captain yeah. Cobol. Yes, <laughs> is that right? Yes, yes. <laughs> I've actually met that guy in person at Share. Yeah. He's uh, on, on his name yeah. tag, like officially registered at Share as Captain Cobalt. Okay, I listened to the. Um, I mean, there was so there that podcast was twenty minutes, and there was so much information jam packed in that podcast that I'm going to have to listen to it again. I mean, it was just so insane, you know. Like he, he I believe, he, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. I mean, he really deserve. He's really deserving of the uh, of the rank of general. You know, I forget the story about how he got that name, but there was it was something about a chain of emails. Yeah, at one point I think he said he was like they that he was called Mister Cobol or Private Cobol or something or I don't know, <laughs> climbing the ranks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he and and he was kind of mentioning this, um, and he was talking about how um, you guys roll and like work hand in hand with these guys, like it's a very intimate relationship. Is that I mean, do you is is that is it is it that like is it that involved is that developed yeah it is what's, very what's uh, involved like? the, the relationship is uh you know first of all if you wanted to improve the performance now you have to get if you use hardware features that's what we chose right um then we will have to make sure that we have the right instructions being uh designed and you know and run on certain part of the hardware and then a compiler will have to go back and and make sure that we can generate this code to to exploit these, uh, you know, all these new features, right? Um, so the every time that if you if you look at the uh, the roadmap for the hardware, every two years, we'll, we'll, you know, about two years time, we'll come up with a new, um, you know, new generation of processors, and every new generation of a processor will come up with some, uh, will have some new features. Like if I take COBOL for example, um, in Z14, um, we totally eliminated all the overhead, right? We totally, um, for processing, uh, for doing the pack decimal uh, calculations. Um, in the past, right, if you look at a pack decimal, which is very, very um, common in any COBOL languages, uh, it is handled very in- inefficiently because first of all, you have to um, convert it into, pa- uh, into zone decimal and then, uh, sorry, zone decimal was was the one that I want to talk about. A zone decimal is very inefficient because it has to be converted to pack decimal and then you you know after you calculate the value converted back to zone. And then um, but with pack decimal arithmetic um, there's a lot of memory to memory instructions. There's a lot of uh, you know inefficient um, instructions that are involved in, in in executing that code. So with Z14, what we did was we actually um, come up with a new facility called a vector pack decimal facility, uh, which we use vector um, registers to be, uh, to uh, uh, you know, for pack decimal um, calculations. So in that case, then we, we, you know, we have registers, we have all the instructions, we have everything there. And uh, so we eliminated all these overhead. So as a result, um, you know, uh, programs can run a lot, a lot faster. Um, you know, with, with that. So this is kind of the roadmap that we're doing, uh, you know, with uh, with the hardware team. And uh, every time that a hardware announce, we're actually working on the next one. So that's the relationship mm-hmm. that we got from them. Okay. So I'm as you're as nice. you as you're talking. I'm I'm I I, I actually 
it was either on this podcast or maybe it was one of the old these blog posts that I was reading, or maybe even like in a statement of direction or something. Um, there was mention of this pack decimal and then the the vector. Would you say it was vector? Uh, vector pack decimal facility. Yeah, and then there's uh, yeah. some there's floating something else floating, right? I remember hearing hearing that or reading that somewhere. It's like floating decimal format. Is that is that correct? Uh, no, that is for C plus plus. It's really for uh, you know for vector uh, the the floating ty- uh, data type for for vector processing, like okay. for vector instructions. Okay, and so. Uh, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but the benefit of so COBOL and PAC decimal is like a is is like a uh, is like a perfect marriage, right? COBOL works right. is is like the best for that. But PAC decimal is, um, I think historically um, that's what our financial institutions use, right? Like banking yes. uh, and equities markets and things like that. And is is the reason why this this PAC decimal format is because um, all those like um, less than cent denominations, it 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 uh, it somehow smooths that out. Because yeah, if you look so at, if you so right. if you look at binary arithmetic, right? So yeah. you have to look into you know rounding errors, truncation errors, and things like that. Mm-hmm. But if you use a base ten arithmetic, which is really all currencies are based on. Then you don't have to have that problem, and this is one of the biggest strengths of COBOL, uh, the COBOL language. So there's no conversion; it's really totally everything is base ten. It's decimal. Okay, and 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 other languages, other languages can do that, but they have to go through some transformations before they get to pack decimal. Yeah. So that- um, so the mainframe is really one of the uh, hardware that really have hardware support for this. Um, for this data type, um, you know, if you look at the other platforms, um, they're binary, so you have to run through some library routines to convert them, you know, to base ten. Um, that actually incurs a lot of overhead, and um, oh. you know, the the results may be, may not be the same. Oh, so it'll be slower, and the and the results might not be the same. So if we put two, yep. like if we put a if we put a mainframe and a non-mainframe, maybe it has the same computational power, and we give it the same uh problem it um it might output something that is different and it will output something that at a slower speed than a mainframe would yes it could that's wild all right so i have uh, some notes here on how uh what is a compiler which you already said and then how it works so i don't know if this is a, this is applicable or not but what i found was that the most popular design for a traditional static compiler, like most C compilers, is the three-phase design whose major components are the front end, the optimizer, and the back end. And it says that the front end parses source code, checks it for errors, and builds a language-specific abstract syntax tree to represent the input code. The, uh, the AST, the abstract syntax tree, is optionally converted to a new representation for optimization, and the optimizer and the back end are run on the code. Now, what I took away from that is that your compiler has three phases. It has some sort of input. There's some sort of transformation, and then it has your output. Now, right. is, that, is that consistent with what, what you work with? Yeah, it is consistent, right? So um, so the front end that you talk about handles the language, right? So basically, if you write C++ or mm-hmm. or C or COBOL, you know, the, that implementation of the front end is different. 
right? Um, but what you can do is also then you you look at the um, you know the 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 translation into the uh, intermediate representation. Um, so really, it, the intermediate representation is what the backend and optimizer works on, so that um, they can generate you know code that targets the platform, which we you know all the compilers take input as to what platform you want to deploy to mm. so they can so that they can actually they know the characteristics of that platform and generate appropriate code for that mm, um, gotcha. and in the middle that means they have some optimization and that's really where the optimization technology comes in right so the optimization technology um, looks at the code and they do some transformation to make the code run more efficiently um, so that for example they can do something to expand the loop so that you can eliminate you know, reduce the, the the iteration counts and things like that. So there, there's a lot of smart things that the optimizer can do uh, to your code before it generates the, the object code. So that uh, those are the three phases that uh, uh, that you're talking about. Okay. Now um, the the compilers and uh, auto, the uh, ABO, which is the, like uh, IBM product. I'm sure there are other similar products out there, but let's just use ABO uh, um, automatic. Binary optimizer. Binary optimizer. Yeah. Can yep. you use? Can you? Are there situations where you just are focused on on working with ABO, or do they go hand in hand? Like, actually, ABO goes hand in hand with the COBOL mm -hmm. uh, compiler. Uh, okay. ABO is actually uh, based on the same optimization technology in the uh, COBOL compiler. Okay. The only difference is that you know while the compiler, you know, has a phase where they. It has, you know, um, it has a front end, mm -hmm. which means that the input to the compiler is the source code, right? And then it goes through the optimization phase and generate code for you. But with ABO, um, the input is actually binary code. So it can look at your load modules, right? And then recreate that uh, internal representation that I just mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And then make the, and then we can actually run that internal representation, uh, you know, through the optimizer. So they will optimize the, um, you know, the code for you. The, the benefit of that is without going through a recompile phase means that you take all the source risk out of the way, right? So you don't really, if you have, especially if you have code that you have not compiled for a long time yeah. and you use the most up-to-date compiler compile it, chances are you might run into some problems. And then if you run into the problems, that means that you have to change the source and that makes testing pretty complicated and stuff, right? So with ABO, mm -hmm. you can just directly um, optimize the, the binary code. And then, you know, which means that it, what it does is because it recreates the program structure, it then runs through the, the optimizer. Um, so there's no way, you know, it will not, that's why it will not change your program logic. Your program logic is the same, but the code generated will be you know, specifically target for the for the uh, you know for the platform that you want to run it run on, and okay. also it will also perform all the um, optimization that normally would be performed by the by the COBOL compiler as well. Mm, so like a so a, 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 so without ABO, like if you had a regular, if you, if like if you just were doing a compilation, you would basically be taking uh, old source code, compiling it. And that, and then you would have new source code, but there's no guarantee that it would work on the intended hardware. Yeah, it would not guarantee they will compile correctly because right. um, because you have not compiled for such a long time. Sometimes yeah. you know you have a bug fix in the in the compiler, mm -hmm. uh, or you have some new 
you know features that uh, that are, that have put in, um, or you use some you know bad coding practices that you know that we don't recommend, but people still use them. Then, uh, it, you know, if you strengthen the rules, that means that you will have to change the source, right? So that makes it, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, it can still be done, but it'll take you more resource to do it, more testing resource, more development resources. And by the way, the um, the uh, automatic binary optimizer, uh, you know, it's really unique because nobody has it out there. Yeah. The way that we do it. I'm reading about it right now. It's the automatic binary optimizer for ZOS uses advanced optimization technology to generate code targeting the latest IBM Z mainframes to imp improve application performance without the need for re recompilation. So ABU reduces the CPU usage of your COBOL applications to lower operating costs while maintaining strict compatible functionality of the original modules. Now, is that in some way related to, I've heard this term arc levels, which I believe is architecture levels, right? And there's varying, there's various architecture levels depending on the mainframe that you're on. Like a Z10 goes up to like a, well, they used to, I I, I, they used to, the, the arc levels used to coincide with the model name, a number, but that's not the case now, right? No, um, there are, I, yeah, I don't know the history of this, but the uh, arc level uh, existed a long time ago so basically um they started out with a number and then you know every time we have a new uh, generation of hardware comes out yeah uh we we increment the number by one right um yeah. for example you know arch 12 is uh z14 and arch 13 is z15 and you know uh and and things like that so the arch level actually tells the compiler what architecture you want you will be deploying your applications to right um, so that it will be able to take advantage, uh, understand the, because the compiler understands the um, the architecture. So what what kind of instructions that you can generate for those architectures mm, level, okay. and then it will just generate the appropriate uh, instruction for you. Now the interesting thing about the arc level is that um, you know it's upward compatible, um, but it is not downward compatible. Like for example, if you code optimize for um, Z14, will run mm -hmm. perfectly on Z15. Yeah, but if you optimize for Z15, you might run into problems when you run into Z14. Um, this is because that it could generate instructions that are not existing. It does, doesn't exist on Z14, right? So in that case, then you probably will get an ABAND. Um, yeah. So yeah, so it's always upward compatible. Okay, which I guess that makes total sense. I mean, you're you, I mean, you would actually probably result in like slower executions if you made things backwards compatible, because then you have to build in all this extra logic of, you know, if you're on this arc level, if not, then do these things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I could, I could yeah, see how that, that would like, that would be really excessive. <laughs> yeah. And your object code will be way bigger, right? Cause we don't know what level you're going to run. And that means you have to clone the architecture on different, you know, you have to generate different, um, versions of the code and you know how be able to run you know detect it you know and when you run those things so it's going to be very inefficient yeah i've got for for these compilers we've got support for node.js cobol c c plus plus pl1 i'm sure there's a bunch of others right java right yeah so i think um maybe i can tell you something about the recent uh uh, Stema directions that we have, uh, yeah. you know, we have issued. There's this um, Python one, right? Yeah, Python and C and C plus um, plus. Okay. For C and C plus uh, plus, we you know currently, uh, you know, we are 
trying to adopt the uh, LLVM uh, uh, technology, which is really going to open source. The reason why we're doing that is because um, it is very hard for us to um, to keep up with the uh, language changes, the language standard changes in C++. And, uh, you know, um, for example, if you look at a language like C++, there's a lot of cross-platform compatibility that is required, right? It's a very common language. Mm-hmm. Um, so people use it on multi-platforms, and there's a lot of uh, open source software that, uh, you know, is compiled with it. Um, so th- our new direction is really to, uh, instead of chasing, you know, the... Um, you know, the language ourselves, we're actually going to incorporate the LLVM uh, technology, the LLVM open source uh, technology like uh, CLang and uh, and the optimizer and everything. So we will be using that and enabling it to all the IBM C and C++ products, including the one on ZOS. Now, the advantage of that is, you know, um, we can always keep up with the language standards, number one. That's really the biggest uh, advantage. And uh, customers will still uh, be able to, you know, um, enjoy the performance uh, benefits that it has because we're going to be working on the optimizer uh, itself as well, just to make sure that we keep, you know, we continue to provide the level of support that we provide in the past in terms of performance. And all the new instructions that we uh, we work with the hardware team as well that will be all uh, you know all included in the in the in the new direction. Um, so we're working in this direction. We don't have a a product base on it yet, but uh, you know, but all future products of uh, of CNC plus plus for from IBM on Power on Linux on 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 a, uh, you know on on ZOS. Uh, will be based on the uh, the LVM technology. I, 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 it's bugging me that I can't figure out what LLVM means. And I, I went to the LLVM compiler infrastructure page, and it explicitly says the LLVM project is a collection of modular and reusable compiler and tool chain technologies. Despite its name, LLVM has little to do with traditional virtual mas- machines. That's, I probably didn't need to say that. That's not important. Here's the next piece that's really important. The name LLVM itself is not an acronym. It is the full name of the project. Yeah, it, it is a, a common technology. Um, it is very extendable to different languages. Um, okay. And, uh, you know, it, it supports C. So basically, uh, uh, C++ and C. So the C, yeah. the Clang part of C-L-A-N-G. Uh, part is the fr- uh, is the front end, if you would say, and then they okay. have the LLVM uh, as the back end, which is really common for different technologies, uh, you know, um, in 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 the open source community. Uh, we're going to be adopting that for the C and C plus plus compiler. Okay, so LLVM allows you is like a uh, if you were to look like a, an electrical socket, it would allow you to plug into different things. Yeah, I mean, in the uh, the way that it is. Uh, it has a lot of facilities to um, to support compiler development, um, so that's that's really what the the design point is. And uh, you know, for us, we just uh, try to use it for uh, for C and C plus plus. Okay, so this might be a stupid question, but the C in C and C plus plus it comes from Clang. Yeah, the C and C plus uh, plus comes uh, the language support comes from Clang. Okay. And we will fit our optimization structure into the LLVM, um, you know, architecture. Yeah. So that um, we can, you know, provide 
first of all, we'll be supporting the, uh, obviously we're, we're supporting the, uh, the LVM effort. And actually IBM became, you know, has become a sponsor uh, for LVM recently. Yeah. Um, so, so we're, we're basically um, trying to, you know, to work with the open source community right. um, so that we have a common implementation amongst different okay. platforms. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I, there's, there was also reference to C, C++, and Fortran. Now, yes. are, there, are there similarities between those two languages or um, the, do you know why that would be? Yeah, they're different language, right? The LVM mm -hmm. is really, um, you know, a, a project. Basically, they, they um, you know, it's an infrastructure project for compile development. So they have different tools and facility to basically help you, you know, work on a compiler. Um, so, for example, you know what I know is there's more than C and C plus plus that is being supported. Yeah. The, right. Um, there's Swift. You know, there you you can, you can actually produce a Swift compiler using the LVM backend, um, and and others uh, others as well like Objective C, and I think they they also support that. Um, so they they basically um, it's really an infrastructure that that allows people, that enables people to develop compiler technologies. I'm, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm reading this, that this, uh, this initiative, it's, it's, uh, it will simplify cross-platform development for applications containing new C and C++ language features, including C11, C18, C++11, C++14, and C++17. Yeah. That's a mouthful. So those are all, those are all, so those like C11, C18, C11, those are, those are all v variants of the C language. Yeah. These are different know? levels of the C standard. Okay. Um, yeah. So they have new features. They are very aggressive. The, the C standard committee is very aggressive in putting out new features. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they, they're, uh, and there's a really good features. I think it's really, um, you know, really facilitate the, um, you know, customers like programmers to actually write whatever they want to do. Right. So right. they, it's very flexible language. It's uh, a okay. very efficient language. So that's what they are trying to do. Now the, the C++ 11, 17, 14, those are these, you know, that's really defined by this, uh, by the standing committee. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but the, the, because the Clang has a lot of, uh, involvement from open source and they, these, uh, specifications are very quickly being turned into, uh, you know, into the uh, implementation, uh, in, in, in Klang, uh, by the right. open source. So what we're doing is really, uh, trying to, uh, work with them so that we can, uh, get very quick support, like, you know, so customers don't have to wait a long time to get these language support, yeah. um, so that we can, yeah. Uh, you know, concentrate on doing the uh, optimization stuff like that. Sure, so, sure. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. I mean, I'm 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 certain that people that are listening that are familiar with C and C plus plus, this is this is probably common knowledge for them. Um, um, certainly not for me. What about you, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> are you? Do you do do you, do you not so do much? You, do you? Uh, uh, I mean, you're you're like a COBOL guy. But do you do you know much about C or C plus plus? C C plus plus? No, I've been uh, I've been lucky enough to be able to avoid all that for some time. I, I stick with the core ZOS languages myself. Okay. All right, all right, yeah. I, I don't. I certainly don't. I just was curious. I didn't know if it was like as you know as as ubiquitous as other languages. But um, so Roland, um, 
the other thing you wanted to talk about was the your I guess the statement of direction on on Python. Yeah, that's a big thing, right? Yes, yes. Uh, it's really exciting for us um, because we're actually you know starting to work with the open source community uh, on uh, on on Python. Um, so you know, as we all know, that Python is a very very popular language, right? Uh, it is very simple, you know, to learn, and it has a very rich ecosystem of modules. Um, so it also can interact with other languages and platforms, and has a very strong community support. Um, so we're, you know, we're actually working on Python on ZOS, um, so that you know we can actually support, uh, you know, a lot of the cloud initiatives like Ansible. Mm -hmm. You know, Ansible. You know, you know, a lot of people are writing uh, Ansible playbooks. You know, uh, with Python and enabling it on the platform will actually help that um, as well. And also in the automation time, uh, you know, in DevOps of my automation, like uh, scripting as, as a scripting language, for example, um, and also writing some um, really and applications using Python, uh, you know, developing applications using Python as well. Um, like machine learning and things like that. So we're very excited to be uh, working on that project. Okay. So you uh, you mentioned like Ansible, and I know that we have um, <clears throat> we had man. I I mention him all the time, but it just so happens that he he has his hands in everything. But uh, Caleb Porter was on, and he was uh, he was on because he was discussing uh, Z Open Automation Utilities, and um, and he was talking a lot about Python. He loves Python. Um, yeah. And and I I guess maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I, what I'm uh, my assumption is that when right now when we're talking about Python, we've got uh, like Ansible, um, we've got Z Open Automation Utilities. These are um, these are all things that people who uh, program in code they maybe want to do things around the mainframe. But what you're saying is that what we're trying to do is we're trying to allow it to where you can actually develop applications on Python, and then the compiler will compile it into, I mean, essentially assembler, right? For it to run on the mainframe? Yeah, Python, yeah, Python is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. uh, it is, you know, it is an interpreter environment. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's, it's the pretty self-contained environment um, with, you know, uh, a lot of, uh, it's very strong, you know, ecosystem yeah. of packages that, that spans across different, uh, industry so the, the there's a very wide uh, you know application base for you know for, for python um you know you can actually use it like for example you, you know from from ansible which you try to automate uh, you know your system management yeah. um across hybrid cloud and things like that or you can actually uh you know use uh use it for for devops uh you know in terms of automating uh you know the, the processes like you know you, you can actually use it as a scripting language just like you use shell language today okay um or, or you know or or you can you know uh, and, and zoau is actually a you know has a very good uh, you know application base for uh, for python mm -hmm. as well by enabling python and zoau you basically bring a lot of the um you know a lot of the uh, environment that is uh, available on linux you know to the platform and you know, it's a very common environment that a lot of people actually, uh, you know, are, are familiar with, right? So that lowers the learning curve of uh, working on on a Z platform. Oh, cool! So that, basically, there's a lot of stuff that's going on yeah. 
and so excited to actually uh, get Python on the, on a platform to enable all of this uh, activities. So in 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 short, I mean, was I even close? If I was throwing darts, was I even close to the bullseye? It's in, in in what my assumption was is that up until recently, has it, it we haven't been able to compile this code to to operate on the mainframe, or is that not accurate? Uh, so currently, um, we have a, a you know a partner that produces this uh, you know this uh, uh, compiler yeah. on you know, th this environment on the platform. Yeah. Um, we're still going to be partnering you know with them, um, but we are uh, going to you know uh, partner in in a different way where we uh, partner in a way where we show our strength. Right. So we have the uh, compiler. Uh, background but they have the industry background so i think we can actually work very well together oh, okay. uh, in, in that sense okay. right so i think yeah so that is really the uh, uh you know the, the basis for you know uh a different way of collaborating with our partners gotcha. on this. okay we're placing a lot more importance on it because we recognize that there's a future there and that yes it, it, need, it needs yeah. to be supported in the right way and then what's our what's our do you do we have a time frame for when we'll start to see some um, so we can basically, I, I can basically say that, uh, you know, the beta is coming out soon. Well, we've got the, we talked about the Python. I'm glad that we touched about the LLVM. Um, is there anything that I, any statements of direction on Java or anything like that? Or, I mean, I, I'm assuming. Yeah, there is a statement. There's a statement of direction on Java. Um, cause Java right now on ZOS is Java eight, uh, uh, SR five. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and the you know we're we actually just issued a statement of direction um, to you know to uh, to work on um, Java 11, okay, which is a you know which is more up to date uh, with the community, and uh, you know we just issued a statement of direction you know uh, recently to to work on that. So um, for all the Java users, uh, rest assured that we're working on uh, keeping up with the with the latest. Okay, cool. That'll make people happy. So we have a statement of direction on Java. We we have a statement of direction on Python, right? Yeah, and C and C plus That's what the LLVM. We should we should. That's the LLVM. Yeah, we should leave links for all this stuff, Chris. This is I think this is good stuff for people. That I mean, this is. I love how that I love how every time we get on these podcasts, we're talking to people, and it's like, it's clear to me that we are attacking this trying you know opening up the mainframe from like all angles absolutely yeah um well uh yeah the fascinating thing is like every time you go to talk to a customer or someone who has hit you know who has worked on it for a long time yeah they you know they're they will tell you all about it right so that's really something that it's uh really cool yeah you know about a z platform do you have do you have like a, a a cool story that you that you remember from one of our customers or from uh, do you what do you have like a do you have like a this is the coolest z story i've ever heard uh let me think um there's a guy called bob rogers yeah. uh, who has been you know uh, probably everybody knows him right he was telling me about the one guy that was uh that got hired to work for uh, for work for a company, mm -hmm. and it, and uh, and then they moved him to a different city or something like that, and they, you know, and and he never got a call back. So finally, he called the uh, the company and said, "Do you still want me?" 
they say yeah but we have to delay a, a little bit um because our you know our uh, machine room wasn't quite ready uh-huh. so um they put the machine on the ramp yeah and the ramp collapsed <laughs> because of the weight of the machine <laughs> and, and oh, they wow. have no machine yeah. yeah so he cannot get hired until like three months later yeah. Because IBM have to ship another uh, computer. Yeah. The computer is totally destroyed. Oh my god! I thought that was pretty Ooh. funny. <laughs> Yikes! When when was this? What do you know? Do you know how long ago this was? Yeah, I don't remember the dates, but it was really long ago. Yeah. That was in the the original, like you know, a system with like one meg was was really big. Yeah. Sorry, one meg or one gig? No, not one gig. I think it's. Uh, I think Meg. I think they're just counting memory in Ks at the time, right? So you have a one Meg uh, thing. It's it's kind of like really big machine oh, or wow. something like that. Like Bob was telling me these stories. Wow. So so funny. yeah yeah. Oh, There's God. a lot of stories being told on the at the 50th anniversary a few years back. Okay. So uh, yeah, he he got he got a good gig, right? Yeah. So he travels to different uh, conferences just to tell stories. Oh wow. <laughs> Let's, we yeah. need to get on that circuit. What Chris, Chris mm-hmm. yes, we let's do. Let's look into that. Let's look into that. Um, got it. Yeah, I don't know. I think we got we've covered some good ground. So we've we, uh, you know, we can definitely mention we're definitely going to mention the um, statement direction on Java. I think we can do that on on Python. I'm pretty content, Chris. How are you feeling on your end of things? How do you how, do you, how are you holding up, bud? I feel great. 